Thank you very much. And again, um, good morning uh, to everybody. It's wonderful to see you all here. Um, one of the most common assumptions that people have about God is that in the end, when it all boils down to one thing that we can all agree with is that ultimately God wants us to be good people. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Now, you might believe this and I might believe that, but just, you know, be a good person, you know? Isn't that really what's at the bottom line of it all? Actually, certainly that ends up being the assertion of people that I'm often chatting with and when I'm having one of those friendly yet slightly awkward conversations that follows the, when they ask me, so what do you do? And I tell them I'm a minister at a church and then often this is where it'll sort of go, you know, because religion makes them feel awkward, but they don't want to appear to be anti and they don't want to appear to be rude and so they poetically try to find some common ground so that we can all get on with talking about more comfortable subject matter like the football. Now, I think we can all agree that being good is good and that it's worth striving to be a good person. But what is the good that ultimately God wants of us? Now, we're up to the sixth in our talks on the series of the fruit of the Spirit. We've looked at love and we've joy and peace and forbearance and kindness, but now we come to goodness. But what is it? What is goodness? We use good in so many different contexts, don't we, that really it seems to be the generically positive but not too positive description that we apply to things that are better than okay but not as good as excellent, right? It sort of sits in the middle there. But when you think about it, anything that is specifically cited as a fruit of the powerful work of God's Spirit in your life must have more substance than just being okay and a bit more than okay and a little less than excellent. What is goodness? Well, strictly, the definition is that goodness is the positive moral quality characterised especially by interest in other people and their welfare. But the word that Paul uses in Galatians 5 is a bit different to that. It's goodness with a difference, I guess you could say. The word that Paul uses, you see, combines the Greek word for good with the one for with. Okay, so it's goodness, it's an interactive goodness. It's a, it's a goodness towards, goodness with. So it's an inner goodness, wisdom, righteousness, benevolence that shares itself with other people. It's goodness with. So as I suggested last week, you can think of it this way. Kindness that we looked at last week is the gracious heart and goodness is the gracious action. Goodness is taking kindness and love out for a spin, so to speak. But not for our own benefit, not to win the esteem and approval of other people, but out of love for neighbour and to bring glory to God. So goodness is pretty good. But unfortunately for our common grounders, humanity actually has got a pretty serious goodness problem. There's this famous encounter from Jesus' ministry. Um, you can read about it in um, Mark chapter 10. You've got this young man who comes up to Jesus and he falls on his knees before him and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But Jesus' answer to him begins with a really interesting comment. He says, why do you call me good? 
Jesus answered, no one's good except God alone. Now, of course, the man had no idea who he was talking to. He didn't realise he was actually talking to God the Son, someone of whom the description good was more than appropriate. But with his answer, you see what the man's done, God, Jesus does, he focuses the man's attention to ponder what good really means. Certainly what is good enough to inherit eternal life. And at the same time, he points out a massive, massive problem. No one's good. No one. That's a pretty blanket statement. Whatever true goodness is, no member of the human race truly possesses it. Well, Jesus' answer goes on. He points out those are the Ten Commandments that particularly relate to how we treat other people. So verse 19, you know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declares, I've kept all of these since I was a boy. Now, given that his humble attitude that he shows, given that he falls at Jesus' feet, we can only assume that this man is at least sincere in, in what he's trying to say. He's mistaken, but he is sincere. So what we've got before us is the kind of person that the average man in the street would genuinely describe as being an overwhelmingly good guy. We would look at this bloke and say, he's a good bloke. But he asked a very important question, and a question that I think actually reveals that in his heart he's, got, he's, a, bit, he's a bit troubled, that he suspects that there is actually more to entering the kingdom of God than just doing what he's currently doing. I think he knows that good enough is not good enough. And so Jesus needs to give him the hard truth of the matter. Look at verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. You see, it's one thing to strive not to do harm, not to steal, not to commit adultery, not to dishonour one's parents. But can this man give all that he has to the needy and go follow Jesus? Can he truly love his God with all of his heart and mind and strength and love his neighbour as himself? in service of the kingdom of God because that is true goodness and and the answer is is no he can't do it the man goes away sad look it has to be said that the human heart has great capacity for goodness we are all made in the image of God after all and there's so much there's so much that people do that is generous and helpful and beneficial for others. Pretty much everyone on earth has got the capacity for that. See, it's not that there's no goodness present at all, but that in humanity, all goodness is corrupted. So I used to have a, a peach tree in the back of our garden in, uh, at Minchinbury when we used to live there. And every the beginning of every spring, the flowers would come out, and they were absolutely beautiful, and by summer... It actually bore a lot of fruit, like it was covered in golden fruit. 
And you could pick one and you could grab a knife and you could cut a slab off it, a small part of it, and eat it, and it was delicious. I mean, it, I, you know, this is not me bragging about my tree. I didn't, I didn't put the soil in the ground, all right? It's not my credit. But let me tell you, that homegrown peach was the tastiest, sweetest peaches that I have ever had. And you see, that was the tragedy of the whole thing. Because on the surface of those fruit were some little dark spots, tiny little holes. Some peaches had hardly any of these little tiny holes and others had quite a few. But every single peach at least had one of them. It was a sign of fruit fly that had laid its eggs on it just after it had finished flowering. Some parts of the peach were delicious, but there was not one peach that was fit for selling in a shop. There is not one peach that you could offer someone in good conscience. Not one peach that didn't have a little grub burrowing away in the middle of it. And in the end, every one of them ended up in the bin. You know, earlier in Mark's Gospel, Jesus says this, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. It's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. So with that man, for all of his relative peachy goodness, underneath the man still had the worm of sin burrowing away in him. And no doubt, while he could have picked any number of things to point out, Jesus needed to put his finger on just just one expression of it, his love of money. An inherent greed within him that meant more to him, actually, than other people's welfare and more than following Jesus because he wasn't prepared to do it and therefore even more than inheriting eternal life. That's a pretty serious worm. In Romans 3, Paul gives this devastating summary of the human condition. There is no one who does good, not even one. Because ultimately, it's our grasping for ourselves, seen in greed, sexual immorality, idolatry, that makes goodness actually unattainable in our own strength. You know, famously, after that young man walked away, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, are stunned. And they remark in amazement, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, well, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So let's go back to what Jesus said earlier, that no one is good except God alone. That's saying God is good. Unlike fallen humanity, as our African brothers and sisters like to say, God is good all the time and all the time, God is good. As John says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is not kindness without action, nor is he good without love. God sees, he feels, and he acts what is good. Remember that important passage we looked at over from Exodus 40, 34 over a few weeks ago, where God reveals his glory to Moses and he proclaims his name. Well, God's glory is his goodness. He says, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. All of it. And when he does, what does he do? He proclaims his name, the Lord, the one who's gracious and compassionate and faithful and slow to anger and loving and forgiving and just. And he shows his goodness, not just to a select few, but to everybody. Look at what um, we read in Psalm 145. 
Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. So, I mean, in other words, no matter who you are, whether you're godly or whether you're not godly, every drawn breath, every cool breeze, every recovered cold, every restful sleep, every refreshing drink, every satisfying meal, every warm embrace, every new dawn, every good and perfect gift is from above. It is from God. Our good God, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. But there's a special goodness that God shows his people. He doesn't just provide, he leads, he protects, he shepherds them. And we heard King David's reflection on that earlier in Psalm 23. His song to the Lord, his shepherd, whose goodness and love will follow him all the days of his life and surely he will dwell in the house of this good Lord forever. But David had worms, didn't he? I mean, I'm not... You know the ones I mean. He too fits into the no one is good category, just like every one of us does. Indeed. Because the greatest expression of God's goodness is him doing the impossible. Redeeming sinners and shepherding them to the house of the Lord forever. Jesus would do with his whole life what the rich young man couldn't do with his money. Jesus shows his goodness in giving everything away for the objects of his love that he might gather them to himself. John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. And so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must bring them also. And they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus' love and care leads to the most amazing action. That's grace in action. I mean, sometimes I think the goodness can end up being the forgotten fruit of the Spirit. Right? Perhaps this is because of the way, as I mentioned earlier, that the English languages make good such a generic everyday word. Compared to the others, it tends to sit in the background, a bit nondescript, the word that you skim past on your way through from kindness to faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. But go home today and read again Luke 23. Luke 23. 
I want you to read it slowly and place yourself there in that scene. And listen there as this sin-riddled criminal asks Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. And hear Jesus' response to that man who from his own admission was so bad he deserved to die and listen to him say, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And then watch as Jesus breathes his last and commits his spirit to his father and then say to yourself, this is goodness. This is goodness. This is love that doesn't stay impotent in one's heart, but acts. This is kindness that does more than think nice things about people. This is generosity that does not merely give away loose change to make yourself feel good or to check off a box on some moral checklist. This is the good shepherd laying down his life for his sheep. This is goodness. And this is what God, in his grace, makes us. Look at what Paul, using a similar word, righteousness, says in 2 Corinthians. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness, no less, of God. Jesus is the embodiment of goodness and by his spirit God works in us that his goodness might be displayed in us. See, the good shepherd is at work creating good sheep and that is key to the transformation that God brings about in our lives. And Ephesians 2 puts it powerfully We were dead in our transgressions and sins, fruit destined for the bin. But then by his grace, God does his powerful saving work for us in Christ, making us alive, raising us up, securing a place for us with him in the heavenly realms, locked in. But this new life is to show its newness. It is not without purpose. Look at Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Jesus called to that young man, he repeated to his disciples on a number of occasions, he repeats to us, take up your cross and follow me. So Christ-like goodness, grace that shows itself in action, is to evidence itself in the lives of his redeemed people that they might point others to the good shepherd. Matthew 5. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See what I mean? Goodness is don't skim over it. Goodness is important. It shows the world that we belong to Jesus. And it brings joy to our good shepherd when he sees his sheep taking after him. Now, of course, there's a challenging edge to Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats that we heard earlier. I mean, imagine what a terror that would be on the last day to hear from Jesus saying, depart from me, 
you who are cursed. Because one's lack of goodness to others was an expression of one's lack of goodness to him. But let's hear again his words to his sheep. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. And then he says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So since Jesus brought it up, let's now shift on the way that we can show goodness to others. Now remember, the fruit of the Spirit is specifically goodness with. Not just goodness, goodness with. It is an interactive goodness. So what I want us to think through is five key areas where we are also encouraged to put our grace, our graciousness to action. And as we do, I want us to, as we look at these five, I want you to think of one thing. I want to think, do some reflecting and think, which aspects of goodness should I particularly pursue more? You can see in emails, Dave, you should particularly work on this. Um, but maybe even think about yourselves. I don't want to get that many emails. No, but which one should you particularly be working on? What do you think is a goodness that you could grow in? Because you can. God's Spirit's going to help you to do it. Now, the first aspect of goodness I want to look at is compassion. The goodness of a kind heart that's not content to be just a moved spectator, but chooses to roll up their sleeves and actually act mercifully. You know, one time Jesus challenged a self-righteous Pharisee with that most famous of parables in Luke 10, the Good Samaritan. What does love of neighbour look like? Now, you know the story, okay? A man is um, on a journey to Jerusalem and he's assaulted by robbers and he lies beaten and wounded by the side of the road. And a priest walks past and a Levite walks past And despite both of them seeing the man lying there beaten up, they actually cross over to the other side of the road and leave him there. Somebody else's problem. But then the Jew's racial enemy arrives on the scene, a Samaritan. Verse 3 from Luke 10. A Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. All right, well, that's nice. I wonder if the other two, when they walked, took pity on him. But he doesn't stop with looking and going, isn't that sad? He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, grumpily probably, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. There is something wonderfully second nature about the Samaritan's care for that man, isn't it? 
It's like it's instinctive. He just, he just gets on with looking after the man's needs and he doesn't seem to be thinking twice about what he's sacrificing in the process. He's doing what is necessary to actually minister to this guy because love of neighbour meant doing what needed doing and other concerns took a back seat. Now, it is tragic, I think, that the evil one has used such a good thing as compassion to lead many churches away from the gospel. In their desire to alleviate suffering, the preaching of the gospel then gets consigned as secondary and neglected. But for others, it's even worse. Anything that causes people distress, you see, especially in today's age, is seen as lacking compassion and inherently harmful. And that includes telling people the truth. Telling the truth about their sin, warning them of God's judgment on those who don't repent. Because it's being nice. We don't want people to feel uncomfortable as if that is doing to them what is good. Lying to people, hiding the truth, is not goodness. But sometimes we as evangelicals can be so wary of slipping into a social gospel that we leave compassion to other people. We'll just get on with preaching the gospel and teaching the Bible, but not realising that if that's all that we're doing, how are we any different to the priest and the Levite that saw and then just walked across the road? Leaving the broken to be someone else's problem. That's not goodness either. But there's a second aspect of goodness that we should foster. Maybe this is the one you could go in. Hospitality. The goodness that includes and welcomes the other, whoever they might be, especially the stranger, the foreigner and the lonely. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Look at these words. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, Romans 12. Hebrews 13, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. And of course, 1 Peter 4 verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I love that last bit there, without grumbling. Uh, Hospitality shouldn't be some kind of chore that you resent. It should actually spring from having a kind and welcoming heart because you've got a kind and welcoming heart, you're going to do kind and welcoming action because kindness leads to goodness. They go together. So hospitality, and of course, you know, sometimes we can put it up on such a pedestal and go, oh, that's too much effort and that's hard to do. Don't let that be an excuse, all right? Hospitality doesn't mean putting on a royal banquet all the time. But I'll tell you what it is. It's an openness of heart that is prepared to open up other parts of our lives as well, especially to those who might otherwise remain on the outside. I mean, think of your own life and, and your own groups, I want you to think of both, not just you personally, the groups that you're in, the church that you're in, the Bible study group, your social groups you're in. How hospitable are you? Singular and plural. Let me ask a question. Not when was the last time you had someone over or something like that. And we all know that COVID has really disrupted this a lot. We understand that. Now, the question I want us to ask ourselves is not when was the last time, but when's the next time? When's the next time? Good Christ-like households, churches and peer groups are not closed circles. 
Goodness opens the front door. Goodness walks across the room. Goodness invites people in to join you. Goodness asks questions and engages in conversation and doesn't look well, always look at its watch when it's doing so. Okay, third, goodness means generosity. Goodness shares what it has with others who need it. And this is especially challenging, I think, in our heavily materialistic, wealth-worshipping culture. You know, if you think about the, the phenomenon, and I think it's right to use this, the phenomenon of influences, you just need to understand the numbers of people that follow people who take pictures of themselves and the number of people that throw money at people who take pictures of themselves to take pictures of themselves with their stuff. That tells you society's on this. The influences that say, be like me, are all about shop where I shop, buy what I'm buying, wear what I'm wearing, dine where I'm dining. We're about wealth creation in our society. We're about maximising investments and so on. And this is one space where God actually confronts us with a pretty firm line. There is good, he says, or there is greed. Failing to be generous, to use the language of Jesus' parable, is very goat-like behaviour. In Galatians, Paul warns the church, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. Do you think of greed as mocking God? Wow. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh... From the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So it's almost as if the goodness of generosity is one of those areas of goodness that continually needs stoking and encouragement because it's a hard area of goodness. And if God knows that this is uh, one that Christians of all eras have dealt with, that's 50-something AD. We're 2020 and we still need to hear the same thing and everywhere in between is need to hear it. And so he keeps reminding us of the generosity that he's shown to us and will continue to show to us in eternity. 1 Timothy 6, command, again, hear the strength of that word, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. But, you know, in the end, generosity should not be a chore. It should be a joy, an opportunity. That's what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give and not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver, because he is. 
And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now the spirit is willing, but the flesh is often weak. So is your generous heart, that kind of desire to be generous, does it actually translate into action? Now the fourth aspect is one that for time reasons I'll just mention in passing. And that is the goodness does the work of the kingdom. Goodness uses one's abilities and time to partner with Jesus and the work of the gospel because it is good. And goodness loves the saints and is actively looking for ways to to serve them and to build them up in action, not just up here or in here. And goodness sees those that don't yet know Jesus and goodness loves them and goodness actively seeks their salvation. And finally, goodness is not just physical action. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 6. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks... As he suddenly moves to the mouth. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And that means we need to think about the goodness of our speech. It needs to pervade it. How good is yours? Do you speak words that help? Do you speak words that bring benefit? Do you speak blessing and not cursing? And of course, perhaps the best use of your tongue, do you share the good news? Let me close with the prayer that Paul gives about goodness in 2 Thessalonians. Let me pray. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.